Welcome to Axios Recap. I'm Naomi Shaven, and I'm filling in for Dan this week. Today is Wednesday, August 12th. The markets are way, way up. The UK's GDP is down. And we're focused on the future of ride sharing. On Monday, a California Superior Court judge ruled that Uber and Lyft should classify drivers as employees. That would mean giving them paid sick and family leave, health benefits, and more. The ride-sharing giants had been arguing that drivers were not part of their core business as technology companies. They raised concerns that services could become far more expensive if drivers became employees and that the drivers might also lose flexibility. All the while, these drivers have become essential workers during this pandemic. The crisis has lent major urgency to the calls for affordable health insurance and paid sick and family leave. And the judge, it seems, was not moved by the idea that the drivers are anything but essential to these companies, too. The ruling was highly anticipated, as it has huge implications for the ride-sharing industry and for the gig economy. And really, it's bigger than that, because these modes of transportation and delivery that we have come to take for granted, and it could be argued long undervalued, have changed how people get around and get what they need, and even how cities have allocated resources for transportation. Both companies plan to appeal the ruling. Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi has said that if this ruling stands, Uber will have to shut down in California, at least temporarily, as it switches to a new employment model. Khosrowshahi, it's worth noting, wrote in an op-ed for The New York Times, published on Monday, that he is in favor of granting more benefits to drivers while maintaining the independent contractor status. To get a sense of what could come next in this legal battle and how it could start to impact the larger gig economy ecosystem, we're joined now by Mike Isaac of The New York Times and author of Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. Let's start, Mike, with the ruling that came down on Monday. Were you surprised or did it seem to you like it was really just a matter of time before the ride-sharing giants faced this kind of decision from some court somewhere? I think... This has been in the court system for, you know, at least five or six years at this point. This just persistent question around whether Lyft, Uber, and now DoorDash and Instacart and other companies should be reclassifying their drivers. And I sort of always thought it would kind of come out in this way of what Dara Khosrowshahi, Uber CEO, is positioning as like a third way, right? Like essentially a compromise of how workers should be classified or the idea that maybe traditional employment is starting to change and you have to figure out different ways of making that work. So I guess I wasn't surprised, but I'm just sort of curious if they eventually get to this point where maybe you make some concessions on what employment benefits look like, but not give away the whole cow like the operations are essentially right now with no sort of safety net for workers. How early in the development and growth of these companies did they start to make this argument that their drivers were not a part of the core business? Oh, yeah. I think this is as long as really from Uber and Lyft's earliest days, because if you think about Uber in the early days, it was mostly a platform for professional drivers and like limo and black car drivers and stuff. And only when Lyft and the now long defunct sidecar came in the scene did this question of normal people in their cars and their everyday cars, can they start driving for us, right? And so from the very beginning, they had to sort of take this position that 
We are just a technology platform. We are just a network business that connects all these people together and matches riders with drivers. And we're not telling them when to work and why to work and all this stuff. And so they've had to like fine tune that argument over the years, right? Like the way the product worked kind of did put Uber in control of certain things, or they had told drivers how to display things in their cars or what to wear. And like, you can't really do that because that's a hallmark of what an employer-employee relationship has been. So I think Lyft and Uber have really been trying to figure their way through it over the past eight, 10 years as it's sort of happening because the model is new to them too. And like, they basically had lawyers constantly saying, oh, we can't do this. So scale back on telling them to do that. So it's a big moment. And I'm curious, you know, now Dara is sort of threatening to close down Uber in all of California because of this law. So I'm curious if this is just a game of chicken or it's actually going to happen. There was an op-ed Monday in the paper that you work for from Dara arguing that the appropriate step here is to keep these drivers as independent contractors, but offer some more benefits coverage. You know, with that op-ed coming out in this moment, the same day as the lawsuit decision in this climate, how are you reading that? We did a story, my colleagues and I, when really right as the pandemic was hitting and Uber drivers were just sort of you know, out there. We didn't have a lot of information on how to keep people safe or how they should be keeping themselves safe. And like these people are the most at risk of many of the essential workers that are out there right now because part of their job necessitates that they get into cars with strangers, have strangers get into their cars on a regular basis, sometimes with people fighting back on whether they should wear masks at all, not having the adequate cleaning supplies to even keep their cars safe all the time. So I think Uber making the argument that these folks should have even less of a safety net at a time in history where they're at their most vulnerable is pretty rough. It's pretty rich, right? You have to just imagine it's much more difficult to make that argument. They're going to be leaning on this idea that, look, if we have to change our business model entirely, then these people won't be able to work or they won't even be able to get the money that they were getting before. So are they sort of shooting themselves in the foot by trying to protect themselves? But I still think it's probably too early to say that because they haven't even gone down that road yet. And we'll see what it looks like, depending on how they have to retool the business. Obviously, both companies are planning to appeal this ruling. But if that appeal doesn't work, Dara has threatened, you know, to stop operating in California for a period. I'm curious how you read that threat or how you see that going if the appeal doesn't go through. Look, there's a few different things they have going on. There's this ballot initiative coming up in California elections pretty soon that just sort of would sidestep some of the issues they have that they're fighting right now. I think Uber, Lyft, and companies like DoorDash and Instacart are all kind of lobbying really heavily to get behind that and to convince voters to overturn it, specifically because of how California's constitution works. There's just a bunch of ballot initiatives that can kind of sidestep the way the other laws work. So this is like their last ditch effort that they're putting tens of millions of dollars into it. My guess is that over the past couple of years, like Uber's always known that this is a possible end game for them, right? And they can't just be caught without any sort of plans around it. So I'm imagining they've built all these scenarios internally, what the product might have to look like for drivers if they become employees and have to just sort of manage their time differently. Like these have to have been prototyped internally and ready to be spun up. I think what Uber kind of probably needs to show folks is, look, people are going to complain because it's going to operate differently and it's not going to be as easy as you had it before. And we kind of need to show you that probably in some grand gesture by closing things down for a little while. I honestly don't know if they need to close things down for a little while or not, but they certainly need people to know it's going to be a disruption. 
What are the implications for the rest of the gig economy? Uber wasn't the first, but basically Uber for X business was predicated on the idea that they made popular. It built this entire new type of economy. And now I think people are just questioning, is this the type of economy that we want? Is this how workers should be treated? Or do we need to sort of go back to the drawing board on what types of benefits folks should have? And I was reading the Times editorial board did a really good op-ed before it was in June saying like, look, you know, Dara is saying that prices are going to go up for consumers. It's going to be less convenient, but perhaps those are costs that we should have been paying from the beginning. And just because we've gotten used to really sort of consumer passenger friendly benefits and like a type of service where the only focus is the customer rather than the worker, perhaps that's not how it should have been built in the first place, you know, and maybe there's a way to do this that could be more equitable while also sacrificing things like lower prices or whatever, you know. So I don't think it's unreasonable to ask those questions or to sort of position it differently. This lawsuit really would set a precedent, you know, a cultural precedent, a business precedent, but also a legal precedent in court. There's another case that's really similar to this one playing out in Massachusetts right now. Obviously, this has implications for California. How quickly do you think this will have implications for other states? And really, how soon does it spread to the rest of the country? It's a great point because I think California has been a real sort of bellwether for a lot of different states beyond this. I think the last couple of years, Seattle seemed to be the next sort of like point after action sort of happened in California after the AB5 laws and rulings, other you know, sort of worker collectives in different states really have been sort of looking to this as a model. So I don't think it's far-fetched to think that, you know, does this spread to the rest of the country and how folks sort of act accordingly. To be fair to them, Uber's point is they always sort of stress these surveys that they conduct with drivers saying that the majority of the drivers that filled out these surveys don't want to be full-time workers. So again, I don't have like full insight into the percentage of people who do versus don't want to be full-time workers, but I think it's just sort of, you could argue it sort of is a moot point because we're talking about entire sort of systems of labor and how we should be treating folks entirely, even if it doesn't work for some percentage of the folks working on the X service. So yeah, I mean, it's really just continue to watch and see how this sort of plays out and if the dominoes start falling in other states and other countries. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Moderna, which just inked a huge deal with the U.S. government to the tune of $1.5 billion for 100 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine it's been developing. The vaccine is currently in a phase three clinical trial, which involves 30,000 volunteers and is widely considered to be among the vaccines farthest along in development. As we've discussed on the show previously, the company has published results showing that the vaccine has produced an immune response in 45 volunteers. That's not a lot. But this latest deal is a big vote of confidence from the U.S. government, and even Moderna's CEO essentially described it as that. That said, the U.S. has now spent over $9 billion on securing vaccines from different developers with promising candidates. Moderna is the latest deal. We're also watching TikTok. My colleague Ina Fried reported this morning that if Trump's order to ban TikTok takes effect, it would threaten the company's plans to hire 10,000 workers in the U.S. The app drew fresh scrutiny earlier this week when the Wall Street Journal broke that it had been collecting data using a technique that Google had banned. Axios was not able to learn why it stopped. All of those jobs are a big incentive to let a deal go through that would allow a company to buy TikTok. Microsoft is still working on their bid. 
The Wall Street Journal report, however, adds fodder for critics who say it remains an unacceptable security risk. And we're done. Big thanks for listening and to producers Carol Alderman and Tim Shovers. Have a great National Vinyl Record Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap podcast.